Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I am your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my co-host Sean Gray. Hello. This is the Last Lap Podcast Hungary for more on-track action. <laughs> Set my heart after this weekend. <laughs> in- indeed. Uh, yeah, so as you might guess from the title of that, we are reviewing the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, very quickly before we head on uh, to Germany this weekend. Bernie Ecclestone is always looking to take Formula 1 into new areas, and in the 1980s it was no different. Back then he was very keen to hold a race behind the old Iron Curtain. He was initially looking to the Soviet Union, but someone recommended Budapest to him instead, and now here we are at the 30th anniversary of the Hungarian Grand Prix, held at the Hungaroring, 11 miles from the capital. The 2.7 mile 16 corner circuit is generally hot and dry and a dusty atmosphere coupled with a track that isn't used very often makes it slippy offline. Add this to a track design where one corner flows into another, it makes for races that have tended to be very processional. It has been known as Monaco without the barriers. So it's somewhat surprising to be honest that it's lasted on the calendar this long. For quite some time, this was the race in the season to miss, the race where not much ever happened. Indeed, in the 2000s, when Formula 1 was shown on ITV in the UK, commentator Martin Brundle didn't even try, and regularly took this race off, leaving it up to someone else to try and find something to talk about. However, for some reason, this situation has turned round in recent years, and the Hungarian Grand Prix has gone from being a guaranteed snooze-fest to sometimes producing one of the best races of the season. Formula 1 seems to be struggling to find a solution for head protection and this subject will be at the front of people's minds this week with the first anniversary of Jules Bianchi's death the previous Sunday and the Hungaroring being the place in 2009 where Felipe Massa had a lucky escape after a loose spring from Rubens Barrichello's Braun bounced down the track and hit his helmet at around 160 miles an hour. And Barrichello himself was involved in another incident a year later, in 2010, when he was overtaking Michael Schumacher down the pit straight. Schumacher squeezed Barrichello closer and closer and closer to the pit wall, eventually leaving only millimetres to spare before the wall finished, and an understandably shaken Barrichello completed the overtake by partially going over grass across the pit exit. The 10-year podium sees Vettel in third, Alonso in second, and on the top step is Lewis Hamilton, who has won here four times. This ties him with Michael Schumacher as the drivers who have had the most victories here at the Hungaroring. So, can Lewis add to that tally this weekend and head towards Germany leading the championship for the first time this year? Or will Rosberg's new contract give him the motivation to try and best his teammate? It's over to Andrew and Sean to find out. Uh, Nürburgring this weekend, isn't it, Sean? Hockenheim, no? Is it? What? I, don't... I think so. <laughs> so I, had a, I had a 50-50 guess there, didn't I? And you I got, got it wrong. wrong. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I'm 99.9% sure it's Hockenheim. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the new Hockenheim. It's not the old Hockenheim. The high-speed Hockenheim. Don't really like the new ones. But anyway, I digress. Yes, <laughs> I believe it is Hockenheim. And judging... On the uh, entertainment that we had in this past weekend, things can only get better is the song that comes to mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, 
it wasn't it wasn't a totally wasted weekend. The the qualifying was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I thought like when the rain came down on Saturday, I thought, okay, could be onto something a little bit special here. And uh, that was kind of the highlight of the weekend, wasn't it? That yeah. first session, that first session of qualifying, where it took about I don't know fifty minutes to do a twenty-minute session because of all the stoppages and uh, red flags and whatnot. And then uh, yeah, like that was kind of the probably about the most exciting part of the weekend, unfortunately, which is not really a good sign when Q one's the most exciting part of the weekend. It took fifty minutes to. Eliminate two cybers in a couple of manners. Yes, it, it was <laughs> quite funny how it ended up being actually exactly the kind of people yeah. you expected to be eliminated. Just makes like kind of just goes to show that Q one probably a little bit pointless. But uh, you just you could just say at the start like why don't the cybers and the manners just not go through to Q two and uh, save, save yourself <laughs> save a set tires, of tires, yeah. lads? Save some energy mileage. You probably don't really need to bother here. Yeah, but no, I mean, at least it was a bit. At least it was fun, you know. We had a few spins, a few thrills, and things like that. So that was that was exciting, at least. Uh, we lost Raikkonen in Q two as well, didn't he? He was this kind of biggest casualty. Yeah, bit unfortunate, really. Just a track evolution kind of thing. He was the first f- out, out earliest, wasn't he? Yeah, and, you know, last man over the line is always going to be the quickest in that scenario. And within thirty seconds, he went from about first to. 15th or something, whatever it was. Well, and they, poor old uh, Lewis Hamilton was very oh, lucky to not get knocked out in Q2. Just over so a tenth lucky. from Grosjean, wasn't he, I think? So lucky. And Sergio Perez was the man who had the chance, I think, at one stage to... to if, if Sergio had done a hot final lap, it, Lewis would have been a goner, but Sergio made a mistake on his, on his last uh, hot lap, which basically ended up putting him in about 12th or whatever, and then Lewis just got away with it. And what a different... That's a fine margin. That's yeah. such a small margin. And what a change to the weekend it would have been if Lewis had been knocked out in Q2. Lewis goes out in Q2 around a track like uh, like Hungary, which is difficult to overtake. He's just game over. From, from 10th or 11th on the grid, he's going to be lucky to make a podium. So, yeah, massively fortunate there. And uh, <laughs> it's just, you know... you. That's the way it goes sometimes. That's F one, you know. But it, and it could have ruined his entire weekend. And in the end, he ended up, uh, you know, managing to sneak through by the skin of his teeth and get it on the front row, and be able to, you know, have the weekend that he ultimately ended up having. As they say, championships decided by the smallest of margins. Well, that's it. And we're talking tenths of literally tenth of a second here. So, uh, so. <laughs> I need you to tell me about the start of the race because that was the moment my skybox decided to crash. So I missed the opening four laps of the Grand Prix. And, uh, oh, so you missed the whole race then? That's yeah. Okay. That was, <laughs> if anybody's wondering why I've been so I mean, grumpy on Twitter about the whole entire thing, that that's why the one thing that I needed to see this whole entire weekend and I didn't get to see it. The, um, so yeah, we got, well, I mean, we were talking about qualifying there. <laughs> Q3 was obviously a little bit eventful as well with uh, Fernando's little spin ruining um, Lewis's final lap. And then Nico Rosberg, the controversial, should he have slowed down? Did he slow down enough debate under the yellow flags? Puts his quickest time in, gets pole position. Lewis is not a very happy bunny, brings it up at the press conference. But, you know, the stewards investigated it and said, no harm, no foul, Lewis, uh, Nico slowed enough. So, you know, that really should be... Should be the end of it, as far as we're concerned, I think. Then if the stewards have investigated it and said it's fine, then it's fine, you know. Well, this in, this in goes to, to 
kind of show my or it 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 becomes the crux of my issue with the whole issue which is not that somebody necessarily gained uh under a uh, a yellow or a double yellow flag um by the fact that they slowed but didn't kind of abortively lap slow um because the rules allow for that and it's happened more than once this season and more than once across multiple seasons. But it only seems to be an issue now because of who gained game from it. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, this is, that happens all the time uh, in Formula One. You know, it's, it's, if it was Rio Hariante or somebody like that, you know, we wouldn't even be talking about it. It's because it's the championship leaders that are involved. So obviously we're going to talk about it. Uh, my, my, my issue comes down to the fact that actually it, it's the rule that's broken here the, the rule itself yeah, is absolutely a terrible rule it's a terrible rule to say that you have to demonstrate that you slowed significantly absolutely. approaching um uh, approaching the the zone or whatever it's going to be because it's so wildly open for interpretation now what was it nico said he he slowed 20 kph um which in formula one terms is a is a reasonable amount it's not you know half speed he's not you know, slammed on the anchors or anything. Um, when you compare it to Nico Hulkenberg's infraction in Austria, uh, where he passed an incident that was on track still, which Rosberg didn't, just for clarity's sake, he slowed by four kilometers an hour on the on the main straight. So going at the the top speed that he could, he slowed by four kilometers an hour and was deemed to have lifted enough. Uh, in that area, and either both of those things are unacceptable, which I think to some extent they are, um, or everything's fair game, the rule is fine, and nobody should really be complaining about either incident. Again, my issue is with the rule itself in that it allows for all this fuzziness to say what is and isn't acceptable. Yeah, totally agree with you. I don't um, see why the rule can't be if you are on a hot lap in qualifying and there is a double waved yellow you are allowed to have an outlap and a fast lap again so you can come back into the pits after aborting your lap because there's a double wave yellow as long as you're on a hot lap and it wasn't an installate you know it wasn't your your outlap uh and then you uh you get to have an outlap and one flying lap and as soon as you cross the the line at the end of your uh, fast lap, that's the end of your session. There's no timing about it. It just, it, it takes out the, uh, and since that's the basis, your times on a double waved yellow lap don't count. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, wouldn't disagree necessarily with that as a solution. What I would have said, um, which is, you've kind of taken that a little bit further than what I was going to say, was I would just say, if it's double waved yellow laps, it's the same as a virtual safety car and you have to slow down to 50 kph or 80 kph or whatever it is. They have to slow down to under the virtual safety car. So in essence, your uh, lap is automatically void and there's no grey area. It's just if there's a double wave yellow as well in a hot lap, the lap's void. You've taken that one step further and said they can get another lap, which is, you know, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that as a solution. Uh, but yeah, definitely... Well, the only reason I mention that is because I don't want to see 
situations like this now where you hear... Somebody doesn't get any lapping at all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because people were saying, oh, well, uh, Nico wouldn't have got pole if Lewis had kept on his lap. But we don't know that. We don't know 100% because Lewis didn't get to have his lap. So in both cases, it's completely unfair. You could almost argue as well, though, that, you know, if someone's got a 20-minute session and they choose to leave it till the last three minutes to set their hot lap, and that's when the yellow, lap, the yellow flags come out, that's their own fault. But I think so it... I think it for the last two, last two minutes to try and set your hot lap. I mean, you're... You, earlier and got a bank on <laughs> you're, you're right. Um, certainly in terms that that is a... Um, otherwise, otherwise we might as well just make every qualifying session five minutes. I don't think it. I don't think it pushes it that far, but I am. I, I am aware that having that rule kind of means that the time of the session doesn't mean quite so much because, um, you know, if, lap, if, if your lap is compromised, then you you get to do it again. But I, I find in my mind that having that rule is the lesser of the two evils mm-hmm. in that it allows the most on track action, which is what we all want. It Honestly. allows it allows a degree of fairness in terms of. Um, both that uh, any driver who has a lap ruined um, gets a chance to go there. And it also means that teams can't, you can't actually be tactical about it, can you? You can't tactically spin a car and say, like a, you know, you can't park it on the corner like Michael Schumacher did in Monaco and go, ah, oh, everybody bought their lap. I've, I've got, I've got pole. You can, do you know what I mean? It, it covers all of those things. It's ultimately easier to police because you don't have any interpretation. It's an immediate double yellow you know um all lap yeah, times black, are gone and you and, and everybody gets to go again if they don't have enough tires then that's too bad as well do you know what i mean if they've used up all of their soft sets and they don't want to use another one or they want to go out on the other ones then that's the way it goes but they've got at least got one more bite of the cherry that they wouldn't have had before and everybody can say well i had a chance to to give it yeah. a go nobody can complain that there wasn't a it wasn't fair to everybody who was out on track at that point I don't. I don't have a particularly strong opinion either way. I was just sort of playing devil's advocate with the situation. But um, yeah, I mean, what you've suggested isn't something that I would scoff at. Put it that way. I think it's, I think it's probably fair. I definitely think that it's a little bit silly to go past the double wave yellow incident and say, "Oh, I've lifted ten kilometers per hour, so that's me somehow being safe." When really, that's that's a bit silly, isn't it? Really, I mean that ten I mean, kilometers per hour when they're tra- when the cars are travelling at what like two hundred and fifty kilometers an hour or something like that, three hundred kilometers an hour. That's and it's not relative, is it? Because ten miles no. an hour at two hundred miles an hour is not the same as going from ten miles an hour if you're going through the slow section at yep. you know thing. In in a way, um, you probably lose less going slightly slower in the slow sections because you're faster off the off the corners anyway. If you go off. You know, if you have to slow down in a fast section, you've got to make up all of that speed again. And at, at the top speeds, it actually takes longer to do that because you're revving right at the top of the, the rev counter. So it, either way you look at it, any anything where you kind of have to say, ah, oh, there's a speed that you have to attain or go down to or reach or do any of those things isn't consistent either. Yep. No, totally. Absolutely. Uh, so Nico uh, takes the poll. So we're in agreement that under the current regulations, that was absolutely fair for him to take the poll, but the current regulations are probably daft. I think that's what we're, yes. what we're saying. I think that's, that's, abs- that's my point of view entirely. Indeed. So we've got the start then, which is <laughs> the interesting bit of the race that uh, you're going to tell us all about, are you? The start of the race? Uh, uh, it was amazing. 
It, it, it looked very much like that the race started with the formation lap and then immediately jumped to lap four for me on my uh, uh, on my Sky Plus recording. But there you well, go. Unfortunately, you'll have missed the defining moment in the race, which is Lewis getting a good start, Nico getting an okay start, Mirror watching Ricardo, which seemed to have a nice uh, a nice get off the line. Those Red Bulls, Nico's watching. You know, he's kind of watching Ricardo come down the outside. Lewis uh, sneaks up the inside. Takes the lead off the off second place on the grid, and uh, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Ricardo briefly, I think, got past Nico for about half a half a corner, and then Nico managed to, to sneak back into second. So we went. Uh, I think we went two by two with the Lewis leads Nico, then uh, Danny Rick leads uh, leads Maxi, and the uh, Mercedes leads the Red Bulls, and that was kind of the uh, probably the most exciting part of the race, which is a little bit sad to say. Well, this is this is hungry for you, really, isn't it? We so we say it pretty much every year, year when we eventually talk about our favourite tracks and bits and pieces, and we always go, Hungary. It's had quite a lot of really fairly bobbins processional races, but just every now and again, like the last two years, we've had some of the best races yeah. on the calendar. It but has then- the potential to throw up a perler because of the changeable conditions and stuff. But if you don't get that, it equally has the potential to throw up an absolute stinker, which is why it's always one that's mentioned, as you say, when you're talking about your favourite tracks and things. It's, it's certainly always one that someone says to me, what's your least favourite track? Hungary pops into my head. And then someone will always say, oh, but what about this and what about that? And I'll go, you're right, that was a great race. You're right, that was a great race. But it's the fear of knowing that we could get one of these that always makes me mention it and, and this week unfortunately we got we got one of these uh, you know, and it wasn't it was actually somewhat interesting from a from a sort of tactical point of view just with um, with Kimmy making his way through that gave me uh, gave me sort of something to, to keep an eye on and see see how that worked out because Kimmy, Kimmy was a bit different on strategy and things having messed up the qualifying so i kind of clung to that as 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 the interesting part of the race but other (laughs) than that he came up to the great wall of max verstappen which seems to be well well, they had had multiple battles and one point kimmy was in front and one point max was in front so that was that was good stuff but unfortunately there was no other good stuff and we had we had lewis out in front from from nico off the line having got the better start and then they just did the oh we'll both stop and then we'll both stop again and the lead driver on the track gets to stop, which is fine. That's you know, this is a team sport. They're going to do the best thing to make the team work, which is fine. So Lewis gets the first choice because he's in lead, which means Nico has next to no chance to jump him because Lewis will get the extra hot lap on the tires. And we all know how this works with the undercut. These Pirelli tires. So he comes. So Lewis will stop. Nico stops a lap later. There's no chance whatsoever in an ideal in in an identical machinery that Nico's driving to Lewis that he can get past unless Lewis makes an absolute meal of the rate, a meal of the outlap, there's no chance for Nico to get past. And that's just what happened. So we went from lap one to lap seventy as you were with about a one anywhere between a one second and a two second gap. And it was just you never never ever felt like Nico was going to be able to to get past Lewis. And it's not because Nico Rosberg is a significantly worse driver than Lewis Hamilton, because if Lewis Hamilton was in second off the grid, if, if, if Nico had got to first corner in turn one, I think it would have been exactly the same. You know, we've got two equal uh, equal machinery cars and two, you know, 
relatively, give or take, equal drivers. Lewis, you could I, I, I wouldn't argue the fact that Lewis Hamilton's probably a marginally better driver than Nico Rosberg, but not significantly enough for it to make a difference under this situation. So whoever got to that first corner in the lead, barring mechanical problems or a calamitous pit stop or something like that, wins the race, and that's exactly what happened. I, I I don't massively disagree with that. I don't think I, I think Hungary has proven in the past that um you know without some kind of other significant advantage the chances of you passing are uh very slim and whoever is out in front has a massive advantage and I think it's worth remembering that this year especially and maybe the last couple of years as well being out in front has had a, an extra massive advantage about how difficult the tyres are to maintain when you're following somebody closely. Um, so if you and don't have that massive advantage to be able to breeze past them easily with DRS and all the other bits and pieces, you're stuck trying to keep close so that you can get a chance. But all the while, you're taking life on your tyres to go faster to catch up, but also damaging them even more from being behind. Um, and Lewis, Absolutely. you'd have to say here... Lewis ran his race absolutely impeccably. Totally. He, he took literally no more life out of his tyres than he needed to, no more life out of his engine or any of the components in it. He went as fast as he needed to be to allow Nico to catch up, but never to catch up enough to make it easy for him to pass. The only time it ever looked any uh, doubtful other than any of those things was when he had a couple of little lockups in a corner and, and Nico managed to get to about seven tenths. And when he got held up behind... Um, Gutierrez and the gap was about six tenths. Absolutely, completely agree. And but in both of those situations, he was in at the position where he hadn't had to have worked as hard to maintain his position as Rob was had to just stay second yeah. and stay close. So ultimately, totally. he, he was you know he he controlled every aspect of the race um, and worked out beautifully. Hundred percent agree and. You know, Nico's following in the in the Merc, which we've proven earlier in the season, isn't the greatest car in the world at, at following another car. You know, Mercedes is great when it's out in front, but going going behind other cars, it, it, it significantly weakens its performance. So obviously Nico's got that to deal with. So like you said, I completely agree. He's having to work overtime just to stay within Lewis, and Lewis is able to to drive, like you say, it's the, the perfect race in the sense that he took exactly the, the correct amount of life out of the tyres and the engine to keep the correct gap. And and it was proven that whenever he did get a hurry up, you know, he needed to pull it a second here and there, he was able to do that. So Martin Brundle compared it a little bit to Alan Prost. Um, just, you know, the way he was calculating, driving, just driving the perfect race to just, just do enough, you know. Nothing flashy, but did, did, did enough. And, and that's sometimes something that you couldn't maybe necessarily say was Lewis's greatest strength. So absolutely credit where it's due here. He, given the fact that he has limited engine resources left towards the end of the season, a well-documented you know, uh, engine problems earlier in the season means that ultimately he's going to struggle towards the end of the season. This was the absolute right race to drive and can't, can't fault him in any way. So the problem was here just that it was a combination of the current regulations, how difficult it is to follow Mercedes's uh, sort of, you know, strict whoever's in front gets 
you know the ultimate strategy and you know we're not going to deviate we're not going to try anything different we're going to do whatever we get to do the one to, to get the one two which is absolutely fine not knocking them for that but it was a combination of that plus these types of cars plus the tires plus the fact that hungary is not a good racetrack for following plus you can't overtake particularly well. all of those things added up for one just pretty yeah grand prix unfortunately it was interesting that they used the pit stop rule to uh put a little bit of a hurry up on on lewis mid-race when um ricardo had done the undercut and, and come oh. in early and they said right oh, you, you, need to, you need to up this um and he, and he was able to you know yeah, so immediately put, put on like a second yeah. on his lap so it showed that he was, you know, driving within himself, doing exactly what he needed to do, and that's that. Unfortunately, that's 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 F one in twenty sixteen. Well, it's it, it, you know, what did uh, Max Verstappen say? I'm driving like a grandma, and that, yep. and everybody was because they were all going, huh? Well, the only way that we can make all of this work is if we, you know, if we look after the tires, and even if we don't, and somebody uses up all of the tires, the we still got the best strategy by doing it this way. Um, I was pretty sure that when you, um, you know, when you find that um, the Grand Prix took longer this year than it did in previous years, in the same year that that the cars are breaking lap records left, right, and centre at all the yeah, tracks that they shows, go to, yeah, totally. Um, you know, that's you know. A, 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 Again, we're pointing out this. This isn't a criticism of Lewis that he was driving within himself. Um, it's not a cri- criticism of any driver that wasn't driving full out all the time. It's just the nature of Formula One at this point in time. Conservation is the name of the game because the variance in strategy and tires means there's not, you know, um, there's not actually a million and one other options to go for. I know that the third tire compound is somewhat helped uh, alleviate that. But at the end of the day, if there's a, a an obviously best strategy, and in this case there clearly was in a dry race, um, everybody's going to do it. Everybody knows what they've got to do, and you you get races like this. Absolutely, uh, that is what it is. And even you know, even that sort of saving grace this season of having the third tire uh, didn't really help out here because the medium tire. <laughs> Nobody is wanted so... to be on it so rotten that it was just it was an irrelevance you know one like massa went on it ended up about a lap down you know so yeah there was nothing to cling to here you know there was like when when Kimi Raikkonen finishing fifth or wherever he came was sort of the saving grace of the weekend it was um probably told its own story which was a shame uh and and it's worth pointing out that both Ricardo and Vettel were, you know, pretty much as near as damn it, thirty seconds down on the Mercedes. So on a race where everybody was driving within themselves, it's not. I mean, the two teams challenging for Mercedes absolutely came nowhere near challenging Mercedes. Yeah, it's the same old story. The myth of the Ferrari and Red Bull challenge is there. Uh... They're fighting each other for second place, you know. There's never been a title battle on, and let's not pretend that there has been. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, uh, yeah, so Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel essentially followed each other around the track for most of the race. There was a brief moment where maybe Ricardo's undercut was going to force Mercedes to do something different, and maybe that would have brought 
you know, Ferrari into play with them being slightly better on their tyres and all the bits and pieces. But it didn't happen because Merck just went, well, we don't need to worry about this. We're just going to continue to do our own race and not worry about it. We know we're faster than the Red Bulls. We don't have to play the game of, uh, you know, reacting to pit stops and stuff. Um, Max Verstappen and Kimi Räikkönen, as you say, was the, the jewel of the weekend, really, uh, on and off. <clears throat> Max has shown in previous races that he, you know, he defends hard and, and generally pretty fair. What did you make of the uh, the wing incident with Raikkonen and Max? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was great entertainment, but there's definitely, I think Max was definitely pushing the boundaries. It was really difficult to tell because of the way Kimi sort of, Kimi weaved around behind trying to make them overtaking uh, move stick. So it was really tough to to tell without slowing it right down exactly, you know, how how Max was moving. Just uh, it was it was it was borderline. It was it was as close to the edge as you were gonna get, I think. Um but Nico Rosberg's done that in the past and I think got away with it, so it's 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 that interesting thing where you have the leeway of getting back to the racing line. Yeah. So because he'd stuck it left, he could make his move to the right and then very quickly go back left again, or the other way around. Actually, sorry, he stayed right, ducked left, and then went right again. Yep. Back onto Which the racing looks line. Looks like two moves. But he's like really this. used his one move to go left. And then he's allowed to rejoin the racing line so long as the other car isn't um, beside him, which he wasn't because Raikkonen scrapes his car across the, you know, his front ring off the back of him. So it wasn't like he nudged him or did anything like that. It's as far as I can see, that's about as far as you can push that rule before they'll probably start going. Well, now you're starting to cause accidents. Yeah, now you're starting to. Yeah, totally. Like completely agree. It's another one of kind of like. Okay, so he's just about within the rules, but maybe the rules a little bit silly, kind of thing. Going back to the yellow flags thing, you might need to clear that up and just say, look, you get one move, and that's it. And if you move off the racing line, you've taken that decision to move off the racing line to defend the corner. That's it, you know. And it's uh, really difficult, isn't it? Because what you don't want to do is is um, penalise good defensive driving. Which is Matt, which Max has shown in several other races, you know, really well. This is probably as aggressive as he's he's been for quite a while. Um, yeah, in a defense, most of his other defenses have been good about good car placement, putting it in the middle of the road, making sure that he's better off the corners and saving all his power for the right times. Um, so it's really, you know, I, I, I it's difficult because we heard um, who was it? Was it Magnussen got complained at for making more than one move? Um, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. One of the previous, I'm sure Kevin Magnuson was getting told by somebody that he was he was making more than one move, and I, you know, and it, it's difficult because it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? About what is the move and what is the, you know, what is the nat- natural way that you want to take the corner uh, and trying to differentiate. So there's actually very, you know, we found this or I found this out really when we were going back to. Um, Canada with the Nico being on the outside and then getting um, knocked off by Lewis. There's actually very little technical regulations about what happens in the middle of a corner. Everything is about kind of breaking zones and bits and pieces leading up to it. But once you get into it, it's more of a kind of 
races understand what happens if you're on the outside of a corner the chances are that you're going to be pushed you know pushed wide by the person on the inside taking the natural racing line um you know if you're on the outside and coming from far back you should really understand where your place is in it if you're ahead but going into the outside line then you've got more of a kind of right to it but it's not a it's not a rule there's nowhere in the te- technical regulations that says if you're on the outside of a corner and ahead that gives you the corner and the person behind you should give up it's you know it's it's all difficult in different people's personal interpretations to to some extent um and there's a real there is that real balance between keeping it free and open and making the drivers responsible for all of their moves and saying okay you get one chance to place your car and one move and then that's it and then we find that either it's too easy to overtake because guys are, you know it's too difficult to defend or we find that there's uh, a whole heap of weird things going on because drivers are in random places on the track where people don't expect them to be because they're having to try and make decisions you know so far ahead then they have to you know they have to err on roughly what they think is going to happen and you know you lose some of the um predictability is the wrong word here but when you you know when drivers go into a move they understand what's going to happen because they know you know what what other drivers are going to do in that situation do you know what i mean absolutely yeah um you know so they can race wheel to wheel because they understand that if they're here and the other cars here then this is what should happen but if you put rules saying ah oh, well you can't you know it's one move only um you might find that people start doing odd things into corners just to try <laughs> and you know say oh well i couldn't do this and i couldn't do this and i couldn't make up my mind so i decided to do this and that's why we you know collected wheels on the on the apex of the corner um that might make it fun. <laughs> no, I get, I, I get your point. I completely get your point, yeah. So I think Max was just about okay here, but but only just. Uh, but great fight, you know, because Reikinen was in front at one point uh, when Max had quicker tyres, and then when the pit stop shuffled around, it, the, the, the positions got reversed, and uh, it was just it was a really good, like, throughout the whole race battle, you know? Which we kind of didn't get from the two up front. It was uh, both times when Max was behind Kimmy, you felt like Max had a real chance of making a move on him. And then when Kimmy was behind Max, it was the same, and, and it was exciting for the whole time they were battling. Whereas it was the same gap to the between the top two as it was between Kimmy and Max, but it never had the same oomph, and, and you felt like something was going to happen. Whereas you felt like something was going to happen with um with Max and Kimmy, which I guess it's just down to the fact that they're driving different cars and. Slightly different strategies, I suppose, but yeah, it was it was good fun to watch for sure. We get to come to my feel good story of the weekend. <laughs> Mister Consistent, seventh in free practice one, seventh in free practice two, seventh in free practice three, seventh in qualifying, and finishing seventh <laughs> in the race. Fernando Alonso in the McLaren. Do you think that Fernando Alonso was possibly the seventh best driver this weekend or the seventh, <laughs> qu- seventh quickest car this weekend? It's certainly the seventh quickest car seems about right, really, I guess. Yeah, but, uh... I think that's fair. Yeah, good weekend. And poor old GB, just while we're on McLaren, oh, well. had every chance of having a good weekend if it wasn't for his troubles as well. So, you know, not necessarily unsurprising that, you know, McLaren are suited by Hungary. Uh, you could have probably put two and two together and come up with the idea that they might have a decent weekend mm-hmm. here. But taking nothing away from them. Um, yeah, well done, Fernando. 
Life in the old dog, yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely. I think the the interesting thing uh, about the the whole weekend that McLaren has, and and yes, the Hungaroring is is definitely not a power circuit, and all the other bits and pieces. And when we go to Hockenheim, chances are they're not going to be as competitive as they were here. But <laughs> what what it was the same thing about Force India in the opposite way, wasn't it? When they you know aero circuits, you can't count on them, but power circuits, you know, they they'd come good. And I think it shows that in in some way that there's there's got to be aspects of that car that are definitely going the right way. And if you'd gone back to you know Australia or or one of the other you know starting races of China or somewhere like that, if you'd have said, I suspect that you know the McLaren will be able to be top ten consistently the whole entire weekend, no tricks, no gimmicks, no you know bits and pieces you'd have thought that was almost impossible at that point. But we've definitely got a situation now where uh, Carlos Sainz has come out and said, I think the McLarens are ahead of us. Their rate of development is incredible. We think that the Honda engine is now faster than the Ferrari of 2015. That level of progression, I think, is astounding. And if they'd, you know, if they'd had the car that had been where it is now and been able to develop it going forward, imagine where they could possibly be. Do you know what I mean? It's... Well, that's it. You know, the problem is now. Are they going to? This is this is surely going to give up the development soon enough and and focus on next year. Well, I think I think the interesting thing is is that that in reality, um, what they're doing now. And the improvements that they can make um, are probably not about 2016 anyway. The, True. the True. improvements are going to come in the engine department. And if we're led to believe Spa is going to be um, the place where Honda spend a few tokens to see what's going on in the car. It makes sense. You know, big, huge power circuit. If you're going to stick them in and see what they do against other cars, you know, reliant on power, that's a good circuit to do. It gives you a good sort of testing bed, so to speak, on. Uh, yeah. On what you on what you've brought, so I I think that Honda aren't giving up on 2016, and I think McLaren are developing already in mind of other things. I don't think they have to stop development on 2016 because the whole car is just still a, a work in progress. It's not like Renault or Force India who say. Um, we now feel that there's no benefit in developing this car further. We're going to switch everything to 2017, which both teams have done now. Um, uh, and I think Haas has done the same as well, actually. Haas has said that they're not going to update the 2016 car. They're going to focus solely on the 2017 regulations. There's, there's still enough to develop on the McLaren, I think, going forward, that anything that they do to improve it is going to be a, a good base for the for the next year. So... Uh, and you know what you you know, we know McLaren can develop a car. It's not a uh, you know that's pretty much a given that whatever they want to throw at that side of stuff, they've they've got the expertise and the and the knowledge to be able to to continue working on 2016 whilst thinking about next year at the same point. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. That's true. And if you think about it. They've got the most to gain by doing that as well. If Force India stopped developing, um, Toro Rosso have 
probably limited development budget because it's all probably tied up in Red Bull. Haas have stopped developing. Williams don't seem to be developing. <laughs> I think Williams know how. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, then the fact that they're you know they're ahead of Haas already. They're eight points behind Toro Rosso, I think. Six points, eight, six or eight points behind Toro Rosso. They're a good chunk behind Force India because Force India have had a better start to the season, but not on insurmountable amount if the fortunes of the teams continue in the way they are. If it's a case that McLaren go on and start scoring those sixth and seven places regularly and the Force India doesn't improve from where it is now, and if you look at this race, you're talking about 10th for Hulkenberg and 11th for Perez, that kind of gap disappears over two or three races as, you know, Force India pick up one or two points and McLaren pick up six points here, seven points here, four points here. It doesn't take long before a sort of 20-point gap is very rapidly eaten away. And I think if they got to the end of the season, having not only gotten ahead of Haas, not only gotten ahead of Toro Rosso, but finished ahead of uh, Force India, um, I don't think that they'll finish ahead of Williams. But, you know, that's that's more down to how how good the Williams can be on its day when it wants to turn up for a race. Um, yep, I don't think the McLaren will finish ahead of Force India. I, in, I would, I point. would still be quite surprised, but I don't. I think if you, I think just judging by the rate of development, the rate of improvement, I don't think it's the impossibility that it was it once was. Granted, I can argue with that. I just think that you know the gap that it is currently, the number of races left. You've got a couple of power circuits and span ones. All things considered, I think Force India will finish ahead of McLaren. However, I'm now fairly confident that you know McLaren will finish ahead of the Haas and the Toro Rosso without too much difficulty. Um, but yeah, I still think that Force India are just that little bit too far ahead. However, reasons to be positive for sure, uh, which there hasn't been many of them over the last two seasons. So, And reasons to think that 2017 could be at last some kind of return to where they should be. So, Carlos Sainz is coming in in eighth. You know, uh, like pretty much everybody um, in in the race, fairly anonymous since we focused almost entirely on the the sort of top six. Um, I don't know what to say, really. He he is continuing to impress, as we've um, as we've noted uh, in the races yep. leading up to this. Totally, there was a little feature with him at one point on. I uh, can't remember if it was on Sky or or if it was on the Channel Four coverage. I've seen a bit of both this weekend. But yeah, but they basically said to him, "Oh, you've kind of uh, gone under the radar," and I felt like saying, "Well, you know, we've been talking about him for a while. You know, like <laughs> you know, he's not gone under everybody's radar." Yeah. Consistency is, um, I think, his uh, his biggest strength. You know, he seems to be just, you know, when the car doesn't break down, which he was getting a lot of in the uh, in the first couple of couple of uh, well, what was his second season? His first season at at Toro Rosso, he was having a lot of reliability problems. He's uh, the car's breaking down less, and it's it's showing that if he gets the reliability, he's more than capable of consistently point scoring, which is 
for a team like Toro Rosso, the bread and butter. And, you know, and as we mentioned, it's it's got the old spec Ferrari engine in it. So it's, you know, um, in essence, its engine is behind that of what's in the Haas, which has got the latest engine. Um, and it, I just don't believe it's as well-funded as the Red Bull team. So it's not, you know, it's not got no. Adrian Newey designing its cars for a start. Of course, but, yeah. um, or, or his team of, you know, his cadre of aerodynamicists. So you can't expect it to be uh, necessarily scoring points on a regular basis, but he's managing to do it. Is this, I think it might it, five out of six races, five out of the last six races, he scored points, which I think is a really great, good achievement for Toro Rosso uh, and a, a superb achievement that's, for him. Absolutely. So that's what I'm saying about consistency. Like you would never have... At the start of the season, thought that Toro Rosso could score five out of six in a row because you think of that team as having the ability to have a cracking weekend, double points finish. But they've always kind of been that team that would have one of those weekends and then a weekend later where they were in 15th and 16th. And you didn't really know why. <laughs> it just was. They were having such, they were hot and cold. I can remember last few seasons when guys like Algar and stuff were in that car, they would stick it in. Uh, fifth or sixth place, have a great weekend, and the following weekend, nothing. And, and and Sainz has brought that consistency to them, which is, you know, that's what you want as an F one team. There's no point in if you're a team manager, you don't want, you don't want results all over the place. You want you want solid, consistent results. That's what's going to get you climbing leaderboards and climbing championships. So, I mean, when you compare it to his teammate as well, that's always with these teams down in the fighting for the mid the midfield, you know, first thing starts is beat your teammate and since Fiat's come back into that team, you know, as it's not even a contest really, is yeah, it? Yeah. Has he beaten Sass what Science once one weekend? I, I genuinely don't think that he has. One single weekend. I'd need to go through the notes properly, but I cannot think off the top of my head of a weekend where Fiat has outperformed Science uh, since he came into the team. I certainly don't remember a weekend where Kvyat has looked as comfortable in the car as Science has. I think he may have occasionally He's beaten him once in qualifying, possibly or something like that. And but I just don't, you don't feel as confident about Kvyat in that Toro Rosso as you do about Signs. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong, or if you think different. Oh I, no, definitely not. Definitely agree. Uh, Valtteri Bottas ninth in the Williams. Um, a lapped Williams. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, didn't see very much of him um, and I don't really know what to say about Williams anymore <laughs> they were all they're always on the back foot this weekend they it's, never it's had, not a good track for them we not a good track and then when the rain came down in qualifying uh, that was equally not a good sign. They're not a good car in the wet. They're not a good car in Hungary. So combine the two of those things, and they were immediately on the back foot. And quite frankly, ninth place. Yeah, that's not even that bad a result for Williams at the moment, given uh, given where they are. Given that um, this track isn't built to suit, it's probably exactly roughly where I'd expect them to be. Uh, they did. I don't remember an awful lot about Bottas's race either, to be perfectly honest, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're no better. They're certainly not top six material at the moment. So they're going to be in that seventh to tenth place battling it out with, with these teams. 
so it's probably where roughly I'd expect them to be, unfortunately. They don't have the car to compete with the Ferrari, uh, Ferraris and the Red Bulls. They just don't have it, especially around Hungary. But in general, they don't have it. Uh, Nico Hülkenberg finishes 10th ahead of Sergio Perez in uh, 11th. Again, an anonymous race. It surprised me because the Force India hadn't been quite so off pace on the non-power circuits in the sort of previous races or the races that we consider, you know, uh, not really being being power circuits. Um, they'd done they done pretty well at. Uh, so I don't really know what kind of happened to them here. Um, qualifying, you can maybe say, okay, maybe they weren't good in those kind of change of conditions, but the race was good, hot, all the things that I think they would prefer to be running in. Uh, but they were nowhere. Um, I mean, obviously, Perez probably would have been higher up had he not decided to pit when none of his crew were in the pit lane ready for him. Uh, True. But, True. But ultimately, he wouldn't have been threatening... Uh, I'd, I'm not sure the times, because they've all been lapped, but I don't think he would have been threatening top eight, put it that way. He might have snuck a point or two at yes. the most. but they wouldn't have been threatening uh, Fernando, I don't think, or probably Carlos either. So, yeah, not the greatest weekend uh, for Force India, but Spa coming, uh, Monza coming, Hockenheim coming, should all suit them. They should be better, shouldn't much they? Much better than Hungary. So, reasons to be not too much doom and gloom for Force India, I think. And if I'd, Perez has had one of the sort of best spells of his career the last sort of two or three months. So yeah, I suppose a piece of un- of unluck. Not going to not going to, not going to give him uh, too big a hard time. Wasn't the greatest weekend in the world. There'll be better days to come, I think. Twelfth place, poor old Julian Palmer. Oh, oh Julian, heartbreak. What, what to say about this man? Oh, like about his. His family were watching on as well, which made it even worse. Like, would he finish in the points? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? We'll never know. But it certainly didn't help his case. Uh, what did you think? Driving in the points, spins the car. Right, driver, driver error was it? Or did, you, did uh, well, it, yeah, I think it, I think it was. I think he 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 got it th- through a uh, through the corner, not where he would really ideally have wanted the car to be, and. Uh, yeah, just either overcorrected or um, just found the car behaving oddly because it it wasn't it wasn't driving in the you know in the space that he wanted to be doing what he wanted to do with it. Uh, I think it happens to the best of them. Do you know what I mean? It, I I'm not suggesting that it was some terrible rookie mistake that he should be chastised for and should know better. No, it, you no. know it happens. Everybody, you know, if Fernando Alonso can spin the McLaren in qualifying, then. Julian Palmer's allowed to spin it in the race once. I think that's that's absolutely uh, yeah. fine. But it's just it, it was yeah, it was the nature all, of the incident. Yeah, it, it it was, and and because he needed it kind of so badly. Yeah. Um Definitely, you know, the pressure is big time on. Uh, people waiting in the wings were to to get in that they get in that seat. It was just it was bad every, time. Every time somebody signs a contract with somebody else, it just puts pressure on him in his seat. Because people then start politicking harder for his race seat because it's seen as the 
the vulnerable race seat, the one that they can go in and get. You know, it's the same with Rio Harrianto in the, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, in the manner his his finances run out, and immediately we start hearing the rumours that maybe Van Dorn will go in and do the rest of the season. Tell you what, you know, this is a tangent, but if Van Dorn goes into that manner, you know, Verlein's proven that it can grab a point. So if Van Dorn goes in there, that'll be he'll score points in the manner. I'm convinced, but that's uh, you know, that's a slight tangent there. Uh, yeah, Julian. I still think he'll see it the season. We've been having this discussion yes. every week. Will Julian Palmer see it the season? Yes, I think he will. But he won't be in the car next year. He won't be in the car next year. I, I think they'd have changed him by now. If they if they were prepared to do it, I think they'd have they'd have bitten the bullet and gone, well, Shall let's we see Ocon it? in the car or let's see Alex Lynn or, or whoever. Do you know what I mean? Whoever they're going to grab. You know, Leclerc or um, who's the other one? Sorokin. Sorokin um, who's just won his first GP2 race. This weekend, um, by the way, the grand old age of about sixteen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because he's but... older than Max Verstappen, which your mate just goes. I remember when we were all complaining that Sergei Sorokin might have possibly been getting um, a seat in Lotus at somebody's expense. Was it Lotus, maybe, or somebody? It was uh, linked with Sauber. I think. Was it so Sauber? Like... Okay, so <laughs> we were all complaining that this eighteen-year-old was going to get this seat or whatever. Max Verstappen comes Max along. Max has at changed the game, hasn't he? Four and uh, a half years old, and <laughs> <laughs> Sorokin's eight. Uh, sorry, twenty now. So he's he's, he's an old man. Oh now. well, for goodness sake, past his prime, clearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, poor Julian. You know, he's done his best, but uh, he's been comprehensively, generally outbeaten by his teammate this season, and like, it's hard to see how he keeps the drive next year. Really, like, I think he'll see the season out, but. We'll see a change there. Magnussen will lead the team next year, and it will probably be, I think, Ocon ultimately will get the drive. He seems to be being linked with it more than the others. Um, I think it might depend somewhat on what Sirotkin does in GP2. If he can beat Pierre Gasly for the title, which I think, you know, you'll have to excuse me that I don't follow GP2 religiously. I, I watch it occasionally when I think there's going to be lots of crashes or uh, the weather's off because it's always fun. Um, but I know I'm pretty sure it's between Sorokin and Gasly at the moment. I think um, Pierre Gasly is the heir apparent in Red Bull, so it's not you know it's obviously not going to be him. Um, although we'll get to the person I think he will be replacing in a second. Mm. Um, <laughs> so if, if Sorokin manages to win GP2, he can't do GP2 again because once you won GP2, you're not allowed to go back. That might force Renault to say okay. You know, let's take a plunge on him. Yeah, we'll, we'll let's let's stick the GP two champion in the car and see how he does because we, it's better to see him now in his first season. Um, again, unlike poor Jolien who didn't get to go into the car after his GP two winning season had to hang about for a year before he got his drive. Um, it's like Stoffel, isn't it? It's like well, technically Stoffel Stoffel got to drive the McLaren this year, so he got to drive in the year <laughs> after his GP two win. Um, but um, I, I digress. That's the. I think you're right that Ocon is the natural, the natural choice. But there is a reason I think possibly Sorokin might get it if GP2 goes his way. Uh, the Haas is in thirteenth and fourteenth. So who's next then on the uh, on the old classifications? Uh, yeah, we've got uh, Esteban uh, Gutierrez and Roman Grosjean in both Haas cars. Pretty. Uh, I mean, all I can remember from the Haas this week 
was them holding up Lewis. <laughs> That's yes. pretty much all I can really remember. It just probably tells the story of the race. Like you said earlier, the um, development's now switched to 2017 for them, isn't it? So it's hard to see how they're going to do much now towards the end of the season. It's clearly all about going forward for them. They've had a very, very successful debut season in comparison to what it could have been. And uh, yeah, it looks as if they're going to pick up, they might pick up the odd point scoring position, but it doesn't look like they were going to be particularly competitive between now and the end of the season, I wouldn't have thought. That's that's pretty much my assessment of Haas, is that they, they came in with the, the Ferrari pre-build, uh, scored all their points whilst they could. Um, they've tried to put stuff on the car, uh, and it, <laughs> as far as I can tell, every time they've put something on the car, it's made the car worse. Um, <laughs> that's not a good sign going forward <laughs> Grosjean has been ultimately complaining about saying you know about the <laughs> yeah. lack of grip and the chassis you know, and all the other bits and pieces so. did you not say at the start of the season that it was a wonderful car or something that they'd built and now it's now it's garbage but uh, yeah they've obviously they've had a good they've had a very good season and they're, they're, they've every right at this point I think to start looking ahead to 2017 you know there's going to be reg changes next season and has have come in. They've had to basically design a car for one season, and then there's going to be a bunch of regulation changes. So, uh, don't blame them for looking ahead. I think if you if they told, I mean, what are we on? We're on Hungary, right? So we're midway through the season. They're on twenty eight points. If you'd said that was going to be your whole season's total to them at the start of the season, they'd have probably taken it. Uh, yes. And they're all so you know anything they get from here is probably a bonus. Can't really blame them for looking ahead. And we're going to probably see quite a lot of Hasses in the 13th and 14th between now and the end of the season. It certainly feels uh, feels like what is going on. It feels, feels like all the teams that are kind of behind them are also giving up the 2016 Ghosts. So, you know, expecting to see any big changes in those positions seems to be fairly unlikely. Um, Kevin Magnussen in 15th in the Renault. Just not a good weekend for him, really, all over, was it? Um out qualified, off the pace in the race. Um, did he get uh, a, pe- a penalty of some kind? I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I was just going to say, going back to Sergio Perez, having a good season and one poor weekend, I'd sort of put Magnussen in that bracket as well. He's He's got the best out of that Renault car and he's out comprehensively beating his teammate every weekend pretty much. So he's allowed one bad one. I'm not going to... No, not going to give him too much stick. Uh, he's he's he's, uh, he's been the he's been the leader of that team more or less all season. So uh, yeah, he's had a, he's not had the greatest weekend, but better things to come for Renault. Not necessarily between the end of the season and now, but but certainly next year. So I think Kevin Magnussen uh, could really come of age next season if the Renault can just you know get a little bit of development going into next year. So that it can score points a little bit more consistently. I'm not asking for the podium uh, scoring car that you know Grosjean and Raikkonen drove, but just one that can compete around the the Williamses and the Force Indias is is all that all that I would I'd immediately be looking for next season for Renault. And if you can give uh, Magnussen a car that can that can do that, uh, hopefully should should really see some good things from him. Yeah, absolutely, I agree totally. Um. Danny Kvyat in 16th, um, speeding wow. in the pit lane, 
after a massive lockup coming into the pits. Yeah, slam dunk that, you know, say it every week. Yep. You know, as soon as that comes up on the screen, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's only a five-second time penalty, though, wasn't it? Which is, I believe uh, so. Which he'd served in the pits as well. So. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's not it's not race-altering. Uh, that's not the reason he's 16th, he's 16th, because he wasn't, wasn't competitive. Uh, indeed. Rumours, well, r- reports in Russian media that his contract is not being renewed uh, and that Pierre Gasly is all set to take over Hard, his position uh, in Toro Rosso. Hard to see anything other than that, isn't it, really? Um, I was just thinking there, as you mentioned that, would it be <laughs> impossible to see Daddy Fiat fired twice in the one season? <laughs> yes, I think that's, that's definitely <laughs> where we're heading. Can we see him replaced before the end of the year? No, uh, before year? the end of the year, probably not. But that's what if, I mean. If, if, fired, you, if you I count mean fired before the end of the oh, season, right. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that would be the ignominy <laughs> of ignominy, really. Wouldn't Gasly it? in the car, you know, Brazil and Abu Dhabi or something for the final couple of races. I mean, at this stage, uh, it wouldn't shock me. I don't think it'll happen. But uh, if it did, I certainly wouldn't be shocked. Uh, it'd certainly be the end of his F1 career. There were reports that he is on um, Williams's shortlist. Uh, might, te- it might work out. It might work out for him going to another team, but I don't know about you. I just, I just kind of get the feeling that he's really been broken by all of this, and I don't know if another team who would wrap their arms around him and make him feel part of the family would necessarily bring him back to what he was like before. Absolutely, it would need to be the real right set of circumstances. And I'm not sure there's a team with a spot available that that Fiat would would get that. It's it's a it's a tricky one, possibly Williams, but I think that story's certainly set to rumble on. Jensen Button's going to be playing a part in that story. Alex Lynn's there, so you're right. He definitely needs a team that's going to wrap their wrap their arm around him, and I'm not sure that's. There's really many anybody out there that can do, offer him that. So yeah, more likely than not, I think he'll be out, out of out of the sport next season. I kind of hope not. Oh, I'd love to see him. It'd be a good story if he could, you know, find a new team and 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 prove everybody wrong. It'd be a really good story. But it's looking tough for him. Uh, Felipe Nasser in the Sauber in seventeenth, um, ahead of Felipe Massa in the Williams. Um, yeah. They- their strategy just didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a quick car to begin with, never mind being on the least optimal strategy in that Williams. So they took a punt. They weren't going to get anything uh, out of the weekend otherwise. Uh, they took a chance. It didn't pay off. Can what You know what? Respect for taking the chance, you know? Well, if they were going to do it, they needed to have just gone on to the medium like at the second stop and said, so we're just going to run it to the end and see if that 30, you know, we don't lose as much as we gain by just continually running and not doing another pit stop. It was the only thing that, that those median tyres would have been good for. Uh, and they didn't really they didn't really push that as a strategy, so they ended up exactly where <laughs> I think that strategy probably deserves to put you, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. As for Felipe Nasa, a position I heard, I don't really remember much of his race, to be perfectly no, honest. I... Only thing worth mentioning is the Cyber's been taken over, so possibly... A brighter future, perhaps. Yes, long uh, longbow investments, I think it is, or long longbow, something like that. Um, so Swiss, uh, Swiss company, is it? Yeah, yeah. I- ironically, I tweeted this out, and the first article I read said that they were a South African uh, firm, but everywhere else has reported them as being Swiss. So 
What do I know, really? Uh, <laughs> um, but Peter Sauber gets to he... go and enjoy his retirement again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we say this every single time. Uh, I wonder if the, do you think this will be a rebrand? Do you think they'll take the Sauber name out, or do you think they'll try and keep it as a sort of heritage brand and hope that yeah. they can attract people in by saying, "Well, look, we're still the Sauber team. Been here. This is our pedigree." I, I, I would suspect they would keep the name, but honestly, no idea. Um, certainly, in the short to medium term, I can't see them changing the name. Just with the, it, the just with that vague talk of um, Ferrari looking for an Alfa Romeo brand. Well, there is that. I was just going to say that if someone wants to have an old legendary car manufacturers kicking about in the way that we had the Aston Martin rumours last season, if that kind of deal presents itself, then sure, uh, I could I could possibly see that happening. But certainly, I don't think in the next year, two years, even three years. It will change much. I think we'll still see the Saubers under the Sauber banner. Uh, with Minisha at the helm as she's kept her job. So I think she's <laughs> uh, the amazing things. I think she's absolutely uh pulled her pants down on that one. I don't know how she's still in a job, quite frankly, but uh she is. So yeah. Uh can only get better, put it that way, for the Cyber team. The only way it could get worse is if they literally went out of business. So <laughs> that looks to have been that looks to have been saved. Yes. So the only way is up. Uh, let's round off then the the people who finished with um, Pascal Wehrlein finishing ahead of Mark Ericsson in the Sauber who as a driver I don't really see how much further his stock could fall Um, in qualifying when he crashed especially isn't it the weirdest thing that like it's his apparently it's his sponsors his backers who have bought Sauber is that right is it yeah it's not Naz's even though Naz's Bank de Brazil the people who've done the colours on the on the car, it's um, yeah, it's the people behind Ericsson who have uh, put the door in there, put the door into put buy, the sort of buy the team. So, <laughs> what an investment, eh? Oh. Yeah, I mean, as soon as it rained in qualifying, as soon as I seen that rain, I just went, Ericsson's crashing today. I just knew it. Yes. I felt it in my yes. blood, and it happened. <laughs> I thought rain, inexperienced, relatively poor driver. A car with no downforce or grip. Uh, I, hmm. I was <laughs> just it was absolutely certainty for him to put it in the wall. Your mental image of Market Market Harrison in the rain is a Sauber going backwards <laughs> through a gravel trap into a barrier. It was it was absolutely certain and 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 lo and behold it happened and it didn't get much better than the race from him. So I mean there was the shining light here that he finished ahead of Harrianto. Well well done. <laughs> yes. Uh, and our only DNF of the race, poor old Jensen Button, um, whose race couldn't have been compromised any earlier. His radio, his radio exchanges were of top quality. Uh, I mean, we should probably discuss the fact that he got a penalty for radio communication, given how big a hot topic that has been. Yeah. But even outside of that, is uh, as soon as he was told to carry on after being about a lap down, what was it he said? Oh, it's going to be the race from hell. Thanks, guys, or something like that. As, uh, Jensen was on fine form, fine form on the radio. But what do you make of the penalty then for the communication and, and obviously the <laughs> development that, um, that we were talking about last week that seemed to come to fruition where... You're talking about pit stopping to, to negate the fact that you've had a radio communication. Well, that's fine. Jensen did a pit stop and yet somehow still got a penalty. So well, the problem explain is, that one for us. <laughs> I, I can, as it goes. Uh, the problem is that they told him how to fix the issue and it was going through the gears and all the other bits and pieces. 
Well, it's not really to fix an issue. It was don't do this. Um, yeah, it was and... don't shift down through the gears, wasn't that was the instruction? Yeah, because the it was basically the same as it's basically the same as what Nico got in. Yeah, not not massively different. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that the rules now state that you must, if you've given that advice, give an irreversible um, instruction to go to the pits. There's... So if I said to you, don't shift through the gears, and then I would need to follow that immediately with box. With, well, with um, uh, come to the pits. We'll, you know, we'll advise if you need to stop. At, at, at the very least, because you can drive through the pits. As long as you drive through the pits, it's fine. You've 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 kind of negated the fact that you've got the uh, you've taken the advice out on track by still having to go through the pits where they could yeah, have told so you that uh, advice. Already, but so the problem was is that he was going around so slowly, the problem resolved itself, and McLaren told him to stay out, and then right. they brought him into the pits for a stop, thinking, ah, great, now we'll serve, you know, now we'll go through the pits, and that'll negate us, you know, um, was, having so told him on the fix. Then, but by that point, he'd already gone around once, and it has to be immediate. So if he right. could have pitted on that lap, he had to. You know, if they told him it just after the pit, okay, yeah, he'd have to com- complete that lap and go around and then immediately pit. So but it's still an immediate pit. Yeah. Um, okay. And the annoying thing to me is that I understood that really clearly from the rules. It's actually one of the few rules that's really actually very easy to understand. I don't know why McLaren didn't just it. say, um, come through the pits, Jensen. Or when you get to the end of that, you have to go through the pits. Even if it's resolved, you know, as soon as they, as soon as they thought about saying the the message, carry on, don't box. They had the time to say, it's fixed, come through the pit lane, and they didn't, and that's why they ended up with the penalty. Now Jensen's other point is that the brake pedal going to the floor <laughs> is quite probably a safety issue well, beyond anything else, true. and therefore is exempt from the rules. Now that is a point I find it very difficult to refute because. Yeah, if your brakes aren't working in a Formula One car, that's pretty critical. But then they didn't yep. do the same thing for Perez, did they? They didn't tell Perez about his brakes in Austria, uh, and that failed, and he went out of the race. So I think that part of it is an absolute nonsense. If if your brake pedal is not working, you should be allowed to to you know tell people that that's not working. And if there is a way of fixing their brakes, they should very definitely been told how to fix their brakes. If it's anything, you know, if it's acceleration or something, like that, that's kind of a bit different. A car going slowly isn't a problem. A car going fast and not being able to stop is, you know, quite a, <laughs> you know, quite a dangerous thing. Funnily enough. Yep. Can't um, argue with that. Can't argue. So, whilst I'm annoyed at McLaren for not just letting him go through the pits, I sympathise entirely that 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 particular issue probably shouldn't have been, uh, you know, penalised at all. And <laughs> in the end, it didn't make any difference because he had or Norley can had to retire. Well, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. But, <laughs> Whoever else had a bad weekend this weekend, they did not have as bad a race as Jensen Button had. So, from starting eighth on the grid, that's a well, real... Well, that's it, because it was a great qualifying, which was the, the shame, because Fernando proved that that car could... Uh, that car can, could, could score points here. So, yeah. An opportunity missed for a rare double points finish for McLaren. I don't have anything left to say about the Hungarian Grand Prix. I'm massively surprised we've managed to make it this far talking about it. 
we've, <laughs> realistically, we've not very much talked about the Grand Prix itself. We've, we've talked about drivers and penalties and everything that's else. A, that's the beauty of the game, isn't it? There's lots of other <laughs> things going on, even when the, uh, the action on the track is a little bit dull. We have Hockenheim this weekend, quick turnaround, and then it's uh, four weeks off, isn't it? After Hockenheim. It is the, the, the summer break. Um, Two weeks in forced lockdown, make them go on holiday, not allowed to do any work whatsoever. So always a bit of a dull time for the F1 fans during that, but I'm sure we'll have some uh, some driver lineups and things getting announced. It that tends to be the case, doesn't it? I mean, although Ferrari always went until Monza anyway, but yeah, you, sure. do, you do hear a lot of the things being finalised and them bits and pieces going through so um you know hopefully there'll yeah. be bits and pieces yeah, uh, interestingly um i heard somewhere that honda weren't going to be shutting down for the summer break and i i'd not quite worked out how it is because as far as i was aware it was everybody had to shut down but as, as far as i was aware it was enforced you know was... yeah I, I don't know if engines count differently if engine manufacturers uh, count differently no so idea. that they can still work <laughs> on the engine because it's not the car um, so, Mercedes, <laughs> like a, so Mercedes can work on it on improving the Mercedes engine, which benefits all of their customers. Ferrari can do the same for the two cars okay. running their <laughs> engines because um, it's not Toro Rosso because they're not getting any new updates. And Honda can work on the Honda engine for the one car running it at the moment. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't yeah. think that was the rule, but somewhere Apparently. on the line, Fernando Alonso or somebody from McLaren had said that they didn't think that Honda were going to stop for the. There you go. <laughs> no idea. I never heard that one before. But it sounds like some sort of silly small print rule where they, uh, some of the engines differentiated from the, from the rest of the car. It may well be the case. I don't. I don't know. It's, but, um, it's probably the same as that city rule that allowed Haas to use the wind tunnel when nobody else could, because they hadn't. They weren't technically a Grand Prix team, right? Yeah, because yeah, they hadn't been in the previous <laughs> season, so they didn't. They weren't subject to the sort of out of season rules as yet. To be fair, like that that makes more sense to me. It does, than... yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's still that kind of, huh? Really? That doesn't, you know, surely a. <laughs> In the meantime, we have uh, we have Hockenheim, so uh, something to look forward to. Should be should be a decent one. It's a fifty fifty trap track, isn't it? Really, with that one. Um... I used to love it. I used to love the old design. I've never quite taken to the new design, uh, but that has thrown up some decent races there. We will hopefully see a bit more competitive action than we did this weekend. It'd be hard to not, to be honest. But I think we get there's a couple of a couple of decent overtaking spots and stuff. So hopefully we can uh, we can see see something good this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that very nicely takes us to the end of the podcast this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully you follow us on all of our social media already. If you don't, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, head along to Twitter and make sure you follow at Last Lap Podcast. Uh, we have lots of really good. We've got a lot of it going at the moment. It's really good. Um, good, nice debates with uh, with a lot of our followers about uh, after the race or uh, issues stemming from the race. So a big shout out to uh, our usual uh, Twitter fans uh, at Carly underscore Taylor um, at uh, the oh blimey. I do you know what I knew as soon as I started it. I was thinking I need to make sure I know what their Twitter handles are, not just what their names are. So uh, at the Stavros, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is our, who's the resident guy who keeps me uh, uh, honest about Lewis Hamilton as best as possible, uh, or tries to convince me to be uh, 
pleasant about Lewis Hamilton whenever possible. Uh, and also a big shout out to uh, Ob- Objective Take 48, Dylan Alexander, who's been tweeting us uh, a lot reasonably. The most optimistic Formula One fan I've ever, ever had the pleasure of speaking to. Uh, he enjoyed Hungary. I, you know, it, it, <laughs> it takes all sorts in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I respect if, that. If I we were all that. the same, the world would be a very boring place. So thank you very much, Dylan, for, for trying to G us up and, and, and make us positive. I think if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you'll know that that's a very difficult task and you should probably stop now. um also follow us uh or like us on facebook uh we post up articles and bits and pieces and obviously all of our race episodes up on there uh, as a just search for the last lap podcast on facebook um we have a website uh you'll see it mentioned absolutely everywhere but it is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk it's the first place that all of the episodes are ever put uh, put upon uh plus all of our blogs from all of our wonderful writers and stuff when they appear um and is that it facebook twitter Website. Is there anything else? My personal mobile number for me is oh triple no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's probably not give that on air. Um, but yeah, we love hearing from you guys. It's been a real pleasure speaking to everybody over the last few races. So please keep that up, guys. It's great to hear from you. Uh, as Sean has mentioned, we are heading into Hockenheim this weekend, so there'll be a quick turnaround on this one, and then uh, hopefully we will not be too long before we get our Germany episode out. Thanks very much for listening, and we will see you again really soon. Bye bye. Cheers, guys.